Hello, Cooper. Why, hello there, Zacharias Funderberkius. It's good to see you. It's a pleasure, always. And for the listeners, it's good to hear your voice. Like it's good to hear their voice or my voice? Your voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Now, Cooper, there was a... I've been told I have a face for radio. You do. It's beautiful. Anyway, there's a... There's a certain moment that I'm recalling. Okay. Where we the most famous reindeer of all. In, no, no, okay. we we're past that season. Oh yeah, right. Where we transferred from boys to men. Yeah, I actually know exactly the moment. There's many moments where there's there. This is the first time you use deodorant. Where you, you discover your chest hair. Yeah. When there's you like the weird fifth grade thing. Yeah. But for us, it was our freshman year of college. Yeah. Together though. When we. Learned, yeah, how to change a tire. Interesting story. It's very interesting. And we were we were riding in the car with some of our friends. We just gotten off. We we just like finished um, going to church with like a good amount of our friends. Right. Haven Stevens, shout out. Haven. She was driving. A main player in the story. <clears throat> She's actually the main player she in is. the story. She is. And she, we were driving. Well, we actually weren't in her car. No, we were in the car in front. We were in your old truck. Yes, dude. Wow. Okay, so in your car was me, you, Laurel, Chauncey. Yeah. And then in Haven's car, I don't remember. I don't know. Sorry, those of you in Haven's car. I don't don't, know. I don't remember. But we had stopped by CeCe's for lunch. Yes. And then we were driving home. Yeah, it was great. And then as we're driving, I get get a call call from Haven. Hey, could y'all come back and get us? Um... Um... why? Uh, mm, uh, I have a flat tire. And so in that moment, it's like, she's like, Could, can y'all, do y'all know how to fix a tire? We lie uh, through our teeth. Literally lie through our teeth. Of course. It's like, I, like, we weren't men yet, like we said. No. But we wanted to be. We wanted to be we so knew bad we'd figure it out. that we convinced ourselves that we were, even though we weren't. Yeah. And Ooh. we both simultaneously. Well, we'll get to that. I grew a chest hair that day. We simultaneously said, yes, we'll be there yeah, soon. we'll be there. Hang up the phone. We look at each other and go, we don't we know. <laughs> but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. How hard can it be? No, it can't be hard. It's right. changing a tire. It's cars. It's like in oh our blood. Gosh, it's yeah. men. It's we're men, yeah. Well, we weren't men yet. So we get there, and her tire is flat, flat. Like, no recovery. Not just a nail on the side. It is flat, flat. Yeah. And so we get down there. We're looking around like, yo, hey, hey, hey. <coughs> why don't you go, go back and get the spare? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we open the trunk, pull out the spare tire. It, like, comes with tools. Right. Um, and we are, like... We pull out the jack. Yeah, and this jack is small. It's a small one. It should not. It came with the car. car. Yeah, but it shouldn't support a car. Right, and so Zach starts. I'm gonna throw you under the bus. I know. All right, Zach starts setting up the jack, and he places it on the like plastic portion of the car, the outside shell. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And he just kind of starts cranking it, and I, and I knew that that wasn't correct, but I didn't know enough to like actually correct him. So and we, this point, we're we the, both deserve the blame. For yeah, we're, we're in the mindset of we know what we're doing. Right. And everyone around us should know that we know what we're doing. Yes. And that's all we were putting off. So I start cranking and it's just bending the plastic. Yeah. And we're like, hey, hey, hey. Like, yeah. And we're like, yeah, this probably isn't right. So we take it off. And now, now we're looking at it. Then a car pulls up. A car pulls up. And two characters, <laughs> they were people. Oh, my God. Come well, out of the car. We'll call them Jack and Jill. Jack, Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill. They and pull up. Jack. Pull, they like pull up before they get out and they're like, hey, hey, I don't need some help. They're like, they're like, they it's like they, you look out of place. You look at them and he's got like the the mustache, the goatee. Like he just. I think he had a threat. 
like a throat, like a throat tap. A throat tap. Yeah, it so was like, cool. He like they didn't belong no. there. No, at at Chase Bank. Yeah, which we <laughs> pulled <laughs> into. Shout out Chase Bank. Yeah. Not that they can't have a bank account, but it was just like they looked like they were from deep country. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we're like. Yeah, we need some help. Yes, but like, don't let everyone know. Right, right, right. So he like he parks his car. He's talking. He's like talking about how he has all these tools. Got like this big jack, whatever. All right. right. So he like comes out and he's like he's like working on the tire jack. And there's like someone else in the car. Yeah, Jill. Jill. We haven't met Jill yet. We haven't met Jill yet. And as Jack's like, I mean, using the jack, very fitting name. Um, he's like figuring it out, making it work. Like knows how to do it. And we're like watching we're like this will never happen again to us yeah but we this no now this is just i mean this is just the bare bones of the story this right. is not the meat yet no. there's a crazy event that happens yeah so then all of a sudden the door busts open and out steps jill it was like slow motion like when you see from a movie one foot out the door arm opens the door yeah she swings around. It's in slow motion. She has a beard. No, no she, she didn't have she a beard. She didn't have a beard. But she has something wrapped around her uh, body. No, no, no. She has a pillowcase. That's what it was. <laughs> she had. She just had a pillowcase in her hand. She's holding a pillowcase. And so it's we're like, kind of thrown off. That's sketch. Why do you got a pillowcase? Right. So she and gets Jill closer. comes up and she's like, starts talking with Jack and like kind of like caressing the pillowcase. It was weird. So weird. So weird. And so finally Haven actually yeah. reaches out and say, "Hey, what's in the pillowcase?" Yeah. And we're like, "Oh gosh." Yeah. We all wanted to know. I mean, we were all thinking it. She just said it. She re- she opens the pillowcase, reaches in, and pulls out the biggest snake. Ooh! I've ever seen in my life. Oh man, shivers. It was so Disgusting. We're stuck. We literally, our car is a flat. Remember, right? We like we they, can't. Not all of us would fit in Zach's truck. And so we're like, "What is the happening? game changed at that moment?" Yeah, Jill busted out this snake, and it was cold around her arm. And eventually, she let it around her neck, and it's just chilling, and, like it's a necklace. Yeah. So disgusting. I touched it that day. I remember we all touched it. Yeah. So we're. It's kind of awkward now. Like she's standing there with a snake. Jack is helping us redo this tire. Mm-hmm. Now we know how to fix the tire. So right. if you run, if you have a flat, call and us. we've fixed three since. Yeah, we fixed a couple. Like people have called us and asked to fix their tire, and we know how to do it confidently. So we, yeah. even if it's like sometimes there's a little bolt that's like a special one where you have to have the key. We even know how to do that kind. Yeah. So call us if you need us. Yep. But don't bring a snake. Don't bring a snake. It was so weird. Yeah. But that is so funny. That is such a funny memory. Literally such a random thing. And then I remember following, hey, like we just said our goodbyes to those lovely Jack, Jack and Jill. Jill. And they took their snake and were on their merry way. Yeah. To wherever people with throat tattoos and snakes go on <laughs> on Sunday afternoon. I just remember driving home and looking back because she could only go like 55 right. on the, on the we were Like we were in, well, we followed her home. Right. And as gentlemen. Yeah. And then Chauncey, if you know Chauncey, oh, you love him. And yes. he's just laughing, yelling, making Snapchat videos, going, ah, little dinky. He just, little yes. dinky. He just kept going. So now we lovingly refer to Haven's car as little dinky. Little dinky. We love it. Oh, what a great memory. Oh, it's like you, you can't fake that story. You can't make the stuff no. up, people. You can't make it College. Up. Here we go. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. It's Zach. What up, Coop? What up, man? I'm just pulling out my pillowcase. Oh, gosh. I'm glad I can see a real pillow in that pillowcase. Yeah. Hey, Coop, we got a really special one today. Oh, I know. Really special. We pulled, I mean, this was a process 
to get this on. It was, it's, it's amazing to even say who we're about to talk about. It's really, really cool. We had an opportunity to, over the phone, mm-hmm. have a conversation with Senator James Langford from Oklahoma. Yes. Like in the U.S. Senate. Amazing. It was so cool. And we know a guy went to DBU, works for him now, reached out, said, what would it look like for us to get Senator Langford on the podcast? He sent us email to his communication department, shot an email. A couple weeks later- yeah. Uh, we've been going back and forth, back and forth. We finally set a date. It's been moved. It's been moved. And we finally get the time. We get 20 minutes in between a finance committee meeting and like the impeachment hearings. Yes. Like he was going to like sit in on that. Yeah. And we got 20 minutes to sit with him and ask some questions. And it was so cool. Yes. He is yeah. so personal. He's such a nice guy. He's a strong believer. Crazy story about him. He'll tell most of his story, but he started his 20 years as a camp director at Falls Creek Camp in Oklahoma. Yeah. Then felt the Lord calling him to run for Congress. And now he's in the Senate and he's absolutely killing it. We, we asked him at the end uh, how you can be praying for him. So we encourage you to listen that far so you can tell. And how can we pray for our leaders now? Yeah, not just him, are, but other representatives right. and leaders throughout the country. And everything that's going on in our country right now that we can pray for them. And we know what specifically to pray for them about To because we're all one. This yep. is America. We want to be the light in the darkness. We want to be a, a country that stands out, and he is doing it. Yeah. In a world of confusion, in a world of distraction, Senator James Lankford is there standing strong for Jesus and for our country. Yeah, and, and whether you believe with him politically or not, it's like we're called to respect the authority that we've right. been placed under in our country. So whatever your political stance is, um, we're called to pray for all of those people that we're under. Right. This is an inspiring interview. We're calling it, what, um, what are we waiting for? He gives us a lot of call to actions because he truly believes, he firmly, firmly believes this, that change in our country doesn't start in on Capitol Hill. It starts at your kitchen table. Yep. And he talks about racial reconciliation, talks about abortion and ways that we can help out, ways that we can get involved in politics rather than just voting. Yeah. So this is very beneficial. A lot of good things to learn how to pray for our country. Here's our interview with Senator James Lankford. Buckle up. Senator Lankford, thank you so much for taking time to, to be with us this morning and just answer some questions. I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Where'd you start out? Where'd you come from? And, and what are you up to today? Well, I'm, I'm James Lankford. I'm a United States Senator from Oklahoma. Uh, I served 22 years in ministry, though, before I went into politics. Uh, it's what my wife calls life's greatest interruption for us. Uh, we did not see a uh, task in politics coming on our horizon. I was in youth ministry in, in particular, served in a local church and youth ministry. I served the last 15 years in denominational ministry, uh, working with the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, and uh, directed a camp called Falls Creek, uh, which is the largest Christian camp in America. Uh, we have about 51,000 guests a summer uh, that come to Falls Creek, and it's a really a remarkable ministry and a great place if you're in, min- in youth ministry to be able to serve so many families and students. Um, but God completely interrupted our life in 2000 eight and nine and called us to run for Congress. And uh, it has radically shifted the direction of, and actually the location of our ministry. That's amazing. What did it look like for you and your wife through that process of, of moving from ministry into the world of politics? Well, in some ways we're doing the exact same thing we were doing before. Uh, I, I've been a longtime believer that uh, individuals are not called to an occupation. You're called to a person. If you're a Christian. Uh, your calling is to follow Christ. That's what I do. And he guides into the places and the locations of your service. But ultimately, my job every day is not as a senator, but my job first is to get up and say to Jesus, where are we going today? Uh, What are the things that we're working on today? Uh, He's the one that should guide our days. Uh, So for me, I'm trying to do the exact same. 
politics and you're at youth ministry you're at false creek did you feel a sort a certain burden for what was going on in american politics or was it just completely out of nowhere well th- there's some of that for me I, I was the nerdy kid that grew up reading the newspaper all the time i was in speech and debate right. starting in fourth grade uh, so i i was i was engaged in policy i was engaged in those conversations but never ran for any office not even student council uh, i wasn't involved in student government i wasn't involved in any of that uh, but I, I was engaged and passionate about the issues. Uh, but in 2008 and nine, my wife, both of us separately, really felt like God calling us to do this. Uh, and it was a, it was a while before we actually talked to each other and thought, this is crazy. What, what, why would this be? And uh, so we committed to be able to pray about it for about a month. That one month became seven months. Uh, and we kept hearing God say, come follow me. Trust me. This is what I'm calling you to do. And uh, we resigned uh, the work that we were doing at Falls Creek. Uh, which was obviously a huge step for us uh, to be able to step away from that and then to be able to run uh, for Congress. Uh, we, we didn't have to resign, uh, but we really felt like running for a political office while I'm also directing youth ministry and, and a nonprofit would put them at risk, uh, not from their nonprofit status, but just from accusations of any kind of political engagement. Uh, so we stepped away from it and uh, ran for Congress, won, and we're trying to, again, do the same things now we've doing before. For you as a believer, as a part of Congress or as a part of the Senate, what does it look like to stand firm in, in what you believe with the different, in, in a world of confusion? What does it look like for you to disagree well and, and to hold to what, hold strong to what you believe? As a Christian, I believe that God that created every person in his image, uh, that uh, God has a specific time for, a design for each individual and every person has value and worth. Uh, that affects how I debate with people. So I may disagree with someone and may disagree with someone strongly, but I should still treat them in a respectful way enough that I'm acknowledging that's a person creating you've got just like I am. Uh, so I should treat them with respect as we go through the debate process. Uh, so that, that is a little different than some. Uh, there's some that really feel like you, know, you just tear somebody down or belittle them or uh, your goal is to be able to destroy someone, leave them in the dust so you can advance. Uh, I don't. That's not my goal. Uh, there are a set of ideas that should win. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to be able to win in those ideas. Uh, but God has a great affection for people. Uh, and I don't believe anyone is beyond uh, God's affection. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try to be, as uh, Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, a reconciler, a uh, person that's trying to be able to bring folks together and to be able to reconcile what's broken uh, rather than one that is trying to break everything and everyone. Right. In a country that seems to be so divided at times, how do you, uh, in such a, in a place of leadership, try to mend that or try to be a reconciler? What does that look like practically for you? Well, you, that, that's quite frankly for each of us. Right. Uh, I, I tell folks all the time when they'll catch me and say, Washington, D.C. is what's really broken and there's really a problem in Washington, D.C. and there's so much anger and hatred. Uh, I'll, I'll remind people Washington, D.C. is a mirror to the country. The people that are in Washington, D.C. were elected by individuals across the country and were sent there to reflect their district. And so Washington, D.C. is the mirror. The country doesn't want to admit right now this is who we really are, uh, but this is who we really are. So the, the the social media noise and anger in politics, I can go to just about any restaurant and look at their Yelp page and go, there's that same anger uh, that's right there and, and the same arrogance that's right there. And you look at people and say, well, those folks in Washington, D.C. don't know what they're doing. And then I'll pull some students uh, in college and say, you spend more time on Fortnite. 
constantly learning and preparing uh, for your life ahead. Uh, so uh, you, you're seeing the same kind of issues uh, repeated over and over in the country. So our first responsibility uh, for all of us is to try to set the example uh, for what can be done. We, we live in a very unique country that protects religious liberty, that protects freedom of speech, uh, that protects the opportunity for any person to be able to do anything they want to be able to do in the country uh, and to be able to go work to be able to get that done. And we seem to be squandering that gift that we have currently. And so part of my focus is what can we do to be able to help our nation to turn to a less prideful, less arrogant, more work-focused, and more accomplished-focused, and the ability to be able to sit down with people you disagree with and to say, you and I can disagree on something, but that doesn't mean we have to destroy each other in the process. Uh, and for whatever reason right now, the national conversation is you're one of those people, so I'm not going to talk to you or I'm going to destroy you or try to silence you so that people that think like you don't have a voice, can't speak, uh, or they're re so attack you that you don't want to speak anymore. And because if I don't agree with you, the goal is to silence you rather than to sit down and work out our differences. That's amazing. So other than voting, just speaking to the American people, what can we do to take initiative on some of the issues in our country today? whether it's abortion, whether it's rec racial reconciliation, how can the, the average everyday American take initiative on those issues? Yeah, learn them. I mean, that's the biggest issue. Uh, there's so many times that uh, we see things on the news and there'll be a 30-second clip on something and you'll think that's all there is to know, uh, but there's a lot more behind it. Uh, and then to have reasoned dialogues around the dinner table. Uh, most of the issues in America still get resolved with face-to-face -face conversations in surprising way. So two of them that you brought up about abortion and racial reconciliation, for instance, I'm convinced that there are a lot of people that will say, I'm not racist, I don't come from a family that's racist, that's not me, and then I'll say, okay, has anyone from a different race ever been at your home for dinner? And very often the answer to that is no. So my question is, why? Why is that? Are there no friendships that you have that are across racial lines uh, that are strong enough that they could come to your home and, and that friend could be over for dinner? Uh, so what, what is missing? Is there is there a cultural respect for people or is there a friendship that's developing regardless of race? Uh, and sometimes we're creating tolerance uh, for all races and all people rather than what God calls us to, and that is love. Uh, love is so much more difficult than tolerance. Our society promotes tolerance. Uh, the calling that we have as Christians is to love, and you don't love someone from a distance. Uh, so the, one of the issues that I, I raise all the time to people is what I call solution studies, just taking a Sunday afternoon, inviting someone of another race into your home, uh, be able to have dinner together, hang out, normal conversations, and developing some of those friendships. Uh, that's a really key issue. On the abortion issue, it's not losing track. The abortion issue is not a political issue. Uh, it's not a um, uh, economic wealth issue that has become of late to say, hey, if people are going to be economically empowered, they shouldn't have so many children. Uh, it is a life issue. It's about the life of a child. Uh, all of the debate about abortion sometimes gets very heated and very angry. I try to bring the volume down and say, okay, let's start with the most basic element when we talk about abortion. When, when someone has 10 fingers and 10 toes and a beating heart and a functioning nervous system and DNA that is different than anywhere else in the world, is that a different person or is that just random tissue? And I think the most obvious scientific answer is that's a different person. Now, that person is a part of a family of a mom and a dad, and the challenge right now is looking at the economics of the mom 
out because they're inconvenient or because they will slow us down in our life's ambitions. Uh, we, we don't allow that to be done to dogs and cats and puppies. Uh, we, we step in and say, okay, that life, life is valuable. And just because they're inconvenient, that uh, doesn't mean that's not a child. Uh, you may not want to acknowledge that's a child, uh, but there's nothing different about that from that child in the womb than a person that's listening and talking and walking right now. The only difference there is time. Uh, so the child in the womb needs as much respect uh, as the child that's in the uh, preschool center uh, or the child that's in second grade or the adult uh, that's listening to this podcast right now. So I want to go back to your calling out of ministry and into politics for a second. What would you say to the person who who feels the Lord tugging on their heart to do something, but they also feel that it's just too crazy, that it, that's not able to be done, I, I'm not adequate, I'm not able to do that? What would you tell that person? I would tell you, I remember distinctly uh, sitting in my uh, study at my house and hearing God calling me to run for politics and saying, God, that's crazy. That's 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 irrational. That's not possible. Uh, not only is it not possible, it, it, there's there's no way that that could actually occur with me. I don't have a political background. Uh, the, there's a whole political culture and a whole political group of folks. That's who does that. But when God calls you to a task, understand our first calling. Our first calling is to follow Him and to say, "Okay, God, if this is what You're leading me to, You have a purpose and a place for that." Uh, I firmly believe. Uh, that God's calling a lot of people to places that are unexpected, and that is just like Him. Uh, I expect God to call light to dark places. Uh, that shouldn't be a shock for God to call light to dark places. That's who He is. He wants people to be able to be reconciled. Uh, it is His desire that all people will come to know Him. And so if there's a place that's especially dark in culture, why wouldn't He be calling people uh, that are people of faith to that place uh, to be able to influence to their peers around them? That's amazing. So within that, how how did you discern or how do you know that an idea or, or a calling is worth leaving everything behind for? Because you're, you're comfortable, you know what you're doing at Falls Creek or at the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma, and, it, and it's crazy. How do you know that that's worth it or it's worth the risk? Well, again, it goes back to knowing God's call on this. If, if that's what God's calling you to do, uh, then that's what you do. Uh, because it, for me to stay at, at working at Falls Creek and directing that camp is a great place to be able to serve, but it is out of God's will if that's not what he's calling me to do. Uh, so for me to remain there would have actually been a, a greater risk than it would be to follow him to the new place uh, and the new task that he's setting me from. Because at that point, I would have been taking the risk. God, I want to try to do ministry without you and without your leadership. And that's not going to work. And I know it. And other folks that are listening to this podcast probably know it. Uh, so sometimes the things that appear to be a risk, if we step back from it for just a second and say, okay, is it a greater risk to not follow God or is it a greater risk to follow God? Uh, I would tell you he is trust, he's trustworthy and reliable and he's a whole lot smarter than I am. Uh, if someone who can speak and create the world is certainly more powerful than any U.S. senator. Uh, so for me, it's a matter of uh, taking the opportunity to say, learn how to be able to discern his voice. Uh, I do believe uh, that God does guide us, uh, that when he said, follow me, uh, that wasn't just a read a book and figure it out. Uh, that was him saying, I'm going to guide you. I, I will instruct you in the way that you should go if you'll listen to me and follow me. Uh, now, is this mean there's an ongoing verbal dialogue all day long? No. Like, if somebody's had that, great. Uh, that's not been my experience. Uh, it's been trying to be able to be attuned to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, spending time in his word, uh, seeing what he is like, uh, what he loves, and 
how to be able to follow him in that, but also understanding that he guides in very unusual ways that when it occurs, you know it and because you know his character and how he guides. Right. So walk, uh, walk me through your just first day walking on the Capitol Hill. It's unknown. It's completely new, but you know you're called to it. So does that make it easy or is it just, just as hard as we think it is? <laughs> As we kind of land the plane, I want you to just give you the mic and, and say, what would you say to your 20-year-old self? Or you look at 20-year-old James Lankford in the face, what would you tell him? Or what would you tell the 20-year-old audience now as they're looking forward to either graduation from college, graduation from high school, or looking on towards the future in leadership? Well, if I knew my 20-year-old self and was able to look backwards, probably the first thing I'd tell him is seriously get a haircut. Um, <laughs> but that, 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 that would be a whole different conversation right. with my 20-year-old self.
and regretting it. Uh, because I've met people like that, uh, that they are 60, 70, 80 years old, and they remember what God called them to do when they were 20, and they were too afraid to do it, and they never forgot it. Uh, and decades later, they were still in regret that they never followed God's leadership at the moment he called them. That's amazing. Well, as the, as the body of Christ, as the church, we want to come around you. Is there any way that we can be praying for you, or how can we best support you uh, in D.C.? So de- definitely uh, continue to be able to pray for us, not only a biblical mandate, but it's a gift uh, to all of us that are um, recipients of that prayer attention. Uh, I-, I would pray a couple of things. One is pray that God would give us favor. Uh, to accomplish the tasks that need to be done. That is the Nehemiah prayer, quite frankly, that uh, he was praying, uh, God, I, I, you set this big task in front of me. You're going to have to give me favor with those individuals that are in leadership to be able to get this done. Uh, so though I'm a United States senator, I still have people that I have to influence to be able to try to get things done, and I need God's favor uh, to be able to do that in those conversations. Uh, so you can pray favor for us. Uh, you can also uh, pray that we'd have wisdom to know the right thing to do. Uh, there are a million things that we could work on. I can't work on a million things, though. Mm-hmm. I've got to discern what are the things that I need to do and when is the right time to do it and not be distracted with things that are not essential. And so pray not only favor, but discernment to know the right thing to do and the right way to do it. Amazing. Well, Senator Lankford, we appreciate your time, and, and we just thank you for, for everything you said and everything you're doing up in D.C. You're glad to be able to help, guys. Continue to be able to follow God's leadership. 